Oh, do I have a question? Yeah, oh, yeah. sorry, yeah. I completely uh, <laughs> <laughs> didn't know where yeah, we were yeah, in the script. You got, you got spun by the by the tornado. <laughs> <laughs> Friday, January the 26th, and this is the Dutch Teams Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Darach, Dutch Teams Contributing Editor and Tea Ambassador, and I'm joined by Paul Peters, civil engineer who's currently working on a requiem for a urinating polar bear. Yes. We've had some very uh, sad news this week. Paul. It is it is yeah. extremely sad news, I think. Um, uh, of course, in the OPEF of the Year special, we discussed at length the uh, statue of the urinating polar bear in Amersfoort, uh, which they set up at the local museum for a uh, yeah a, 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 a animal related um, uh, exhibition, I believe. And uh, that uh, polar bear, of course, caused some OPEF because uh, it's at random. It started to urinate for a couple of minutes and it also <laughs> did that at night and this is related to the next OPEF by the way um, so that led to some complaints of neighbors uh, but it also uh, meant that uh, yeah this statue went absolutely viral all across the world <laughs> and um, now unfortunately the museum uh, has ended its exhibition and they decided to get rid of the yeah uh, cult-like uh, statue, and I think that's uh, that's a very bad decision by the museum because, yeah, uh, uh, yeah it's already an iconic uh, piece of artwork, I think, and yeah. uh, I would advise it to just uh, 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 leave it there at the entrance and absolutely, um, yeah, attract more visitors. So, um, yeah. I totally think they're for- pissing on their own chips here. Okay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, and I saw, by the way, uh, uh, what color uh, they illuminated the stream at night. It was yeah. yellow, so that was exactly. very, no, very no, appropriate. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> not, not um, orange. Not orange, no. no. The artist is um, talking with two interested partners somewhere in Amersfoort to have it uh, placed there, but he didn't want to disclose where it was. But the rumors are that it might be going to the uh, local zoo over there. So um, hopefully for the Amersfoort people, um, the, the polar bear will remain right. in their municipality. Yes. Yeah, yeah. O- otherwise, perhaps uh, we need uh, some kind of spreadings vet to, uh, to, so that the, <laughs> that the government can decide where the polar bear should be placed or maybe, yeah. maybe send around all the all the different municipalities in the <laughs> yeah. course of the year yeah equally share it among all the municipalities yeah. yes let's yeah. let's start with their apple i think that's a that's a nice place yeah um and gordon you are a tea ambassador yeah, this relates to what uh, escalated during the week into a kind of diplomatic incident, really, after yeah, an academic in the United States of all places uh, dared to suggest <laughs> to, to the British that their tea could be improved somehow, and not just uh, improved, as if that wasn't in itself outraged enough. Uh, the uh, One of the tips that she gave was to add a pinch of salt. Yeah, um, insanity. It's, it's absolutely insanity. It's true to add salt to tea. You know, I mean, I think um, you know, there's, yeah. a, there's a whole there's a whole debate about whether you add put the milk in first or the tea, and then to say suggest that you add salt. There were some other good tips. Uh, she said to like squeeze the tea bag as you're making it to kind of yeah, that, that, that's actually quite give it a tap that, and a squeeze. Common just, practice, um, right? Isn't it? It's not really common practice. You can use oh. yeah, you can use tongs or whatever. It's, it's a bit fussy, but it does. Uh, yeah, that does seem like a, a sensible thing to do but yeah this person was a was a chemist so uh, yeah i think has probably just been mm. spending too much time in laboratories and not enough time in cafes <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. yeah this became this obviously caused absolute outrage and uh, outbursts of horror and uh, dis- dismay on um uh, on social media it stirred up a whole kind of virtual boston tea party um, <laughs> yeah. and a reversed boston tea party reverse boston tea yeah. party yeah exactly um, and yeah, and eventually the uh, even the U.S. embassy in the U.K. weighed in with a statement, um, which was uh, I thought quite quite nicely done, quite nicely worded, showing something even more surprising, which is Americans having a grasp of irony because they said that uh, the best way to make tea was, of course, putting it in the microwave. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, terrible. Yeah, uh, the the 
the, the statement by the US Embassy in London was uh, very diplomatically phrased, but then yeah. it ended with with this uh, statement. Yeah, this that's a killer uh, last line. Yeah, yeah and yeah. and also the official Twitter account of the cabinet office responded to that statement by the yeah. uh, US Embassy saying that, yeah, uh, yeah uh, we appreciate our special relationship, but we must disagree wholeheartedly. Tea can only be made using a kettle. Indeed, um, yeah. So it started as a storm in a teacup, but ended up with yeah. the Americans pouring oil over troubled waters. <laughs> they like their oil. They do. Uh, <laughs> or not necessarily even their oil. Um, yeah, and uh, this reminded me a bit of uh, the uh, American ambassador uh, living in The Hague, um, uh, or based in The Hague, I have to say. Uh, yeah. That is, uh, of course, and I always forget her name, Shefali Dugal. Uh, and she is uh, she's really nice on social media. You must follow her on mm. Instagram or Twitter. Uh, and uh, yeah, she um, forces herself to experience everything uh, that is related to Dutch culture and yeah. uh, Dutch cuisine. Has she had a yet? Yeah, yeah, I think oh. she had. Yeah, Frikandel Special and a <laughs> wow. Tom Poos and everything. She even that's real commitment. Yeah. That's real commitment, yeah. And she um, is. Uh, she very convincingly pretends that she enjoys and likes everything she is experiencing. But she's a, she's a real treat and, and a much better improvement on the previous U.S. ambassador we yeah. had, who uh, Pete Hoekstra, who was a Trump appointee and who was uh, the most grumpy boomer ever, I think. Yeah, and he um, kept calling out uh, the Dutch media for uh, broadcasting fake news, which... Uh, yeah. and f- fact-checked and uh, proved uh, that his claim of fake news was itself fake news. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's what I remember about Peter Wickstein. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he ate bitter balls with uh, Robert Jens, a anti-fax conspiracy lunatic. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and that uh, brings us to the OPEF of the week, uh, I think. This time it comes from Amsterdam, where an expat living in the Jordaan district had dared to suggest that the bells of the Westerkerk do not have to ring every 15 minutes at night. In a letter that uh, circulated on social media, a neighbor writes in English, that's an important detail, Mm -hmm. that he or she has been living in Amsterdam for two years and fear that, now that the renovation of the historic church is nearing completion, um, the bells will start ringing, ringing again every 15 minutes, day and night. The writer calls on everyone who also finds that a bit much to complain to the municipality and ask if the bells could be silenced at night, perhaps from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., to guarantee a better sleep. The letter led to uh, yeah, outrage on social media <laughs> and on the streets of Amsterdam. Um, uh, yeah, especially native Amsterdamers who were absolutely were absolutely offended <laughs> that someone dared to describe their beloved church bells as noise. Yeah, people telling them on- how to make tea next. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, or how to make your tompuses, yeah. <laughs> Someone on local broadcaster 85 uh, called the petitioner an idiotic yup, which stands for Young Urban Professional. Uh, and uh, he pointed out that the church has been standing on the Prinsengracht for centuries, and that's a bit longer than the two years this person is living in the Jordaan. The Telegraaf newspaper, always uh, yeah, fond of, uh, fond of uh, ophef. Um, yeah. also, uh, Especially when it involves uh, foreigners. Especially when it involves foreigners. Uh, Their headline wrote, um, expats wants to silence the church bells or something like that. They they, they always have these rousy rousy headlines, of course. Hmm. Um, This paper managed to get a hold on the original letter writer. She didn't expect this amount of negative reactions. She told the newspaper and she said that she didn't realize how beloved the sounds of the bells were in Amsterdam. And uh, this one was also fun. I thought she apologized for calling the Protestant church a cathedral um <laughs> yeah i saw some sgp voters uh, uh being offended by this so uh, there was opf for everyone here yeah even the sgp got in the opf yeah yes indeed and this isn't the first time an expat um yeah asked uh, for silent church bells at night and caused opf uh, because a similar request was made in 2019 to a subcommittee of the district council uh, but that didn't lead to silencing the bells and there was also an incident uh, a couple of years ago in utrecht uh, but this one this was just a, a, a Dutch person um, he or she asked the municipality on social media if the church bells could be silenced at night too and then the uh, official Twitter account of the municipality responded uh, no we've been doing this for 800 years just uh, <laughs> uh, get used to it uh, that was basically what they were uh, saying, telling her 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah of course, a great uh, irony of all this is that uh, the uh, the bells in the Vestkerk in Amsterdam uh, are not actually rung live mm. at night. It's just a recording of church just a bells. recording. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no uh, no hunchback living in the no. uh, <laughs> in the Vester Tower. Um, and uh, but but she I do think she has a point. I live in Delft and there is a uh, major church here nearby. It rings every uh, 30 minutes uh, but the Westerkerk rings every 15 minutes mm. and I think that is indeed a bit much um, I don't think that is really necessary to uh, yeah, notify everyone that a fi- that a qu- quarter of an hour had passed. So I yeah. think she has Especially a point. Especially in the middle of the night. I mean, do you really need to, need to know that it's quarter past two? You're still awake at quarter past two rather than two yeah. o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's quite a normal um, thing, isn't it? Certainly out in the country that around, certainly where I, where I go to, uh, where my, fam- my Dutch family live in Durenta, the, the, the village church there, I think rings every half hour through the night. Yeah. And you can hear it quite loudly um, all, all around the village. So. And I think that's a nice compromise between the yeah. pro-church bell and anti-church bell uh, camps. Yeah. So perhaps we need a polder solution here. Yeah. yeah. Well, this week, the coalition talks continue in the kind of blissful silence that Amsterdam residents can only dream of. Fiat Builders <laughs> signals a serious problem after the Senate passes a controversial law on asylum, and there are warnings that the electricity network is under strain. In Brexit news, Eurostar trains and Ajax's latest signing are both held up by cross-border bureaucracy. But it's not all bad news, because Helder Lunt has been given the green lights to go paintballing with wolves. Silence has descended on the talks to form a new coalition government. All four parties have been tight-lipped on the negotiations. Ronald Plasterk, the former Labour minister leading the talks, says the atmosphere is constructive and he's still on course to give Parliament an update at the start of February. Conventional wisdom says no news is good news because parties usually start briefing against each other when the negotiations are on the point of collapse. But there have been indications in the margins and especially on social media that it's not all plain sailing. In particular, on Tuesday, when the Senate voted through the controversial Spreidingswet, or spreading law, which allows the government to force local councils to take in refugees. Kurt Wilders, leader of the PFFA, the largest of the poor for four parties, said the vote had created a serious problem and tweeted a picture of the Minister for Asylum, Erik van der Burg, being congratulated by Day Senate Group leader Edith Schippers. Look at the Fefeideers congratulating each other on this dreadful law, he said. Of course, earlier in the week, uh, Wilders, uh, um, yeah, he went viral on Twitter because he his one-line um, summary, his, his one-line tweet saying, for heaven and serious problem, was picked up by Americans and they thought this was absolutely hilarious. And it, was, it, it went it was absolutely quite... viral, yeah. And it took me some quite some time to, to realize what exactly was funny about it. But uh, yeah, I think you said that it is one of these sentences that uh, if, you, if you don't speak Dutch, you also, you can still, uh, see what 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 uh, this person is uh, is yeah, meaning, it, it right? It just looks like somebody sort of trying to transcribe a strange accent or in English, or you know, so yeah. someone did, did uh, you know, um, yeah, uh, phonetically transcribing the lines of Officer Crabtree from a lower lower or something like that. You know, it just looks like <laughs> English written badly. I think that was it was, it was as simple as that. But people, yeah, and if you if <laughs> if you uh, pronounce it phonetically in English, what uh, yeah, th- this line it it sounds like a drunken baby with a throat disease. So yeah. yeah that's basically Dutch, right? So yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you said um, that, not me. So uh, yeah, yeah before anyone writes in, <laughs> uh, and I completely missed that tweet because I am of course blocked by Geert Wilders, just yeah. like I think half of the population uh, on that on that social media platform. So well, uh, I'm like three quarters probably. But yeah, um, perhaps that. Yeah, um, yeah. the the the. the uh, defender of uh, the freedom of speech uh, mm. blocks everyone. It's always yeah. funny how these things go. Yeah, but um, you eventually see his tweets because it gets screenshotted by people and uh, and Geertvelder's bots, um, yeah, but, but mirror accounts. So eventually, all his tweets do come round. Um, yeah, then uh, I think we have different timelines then. Um, this is uh, not just Wilders who has a problem with the Spreidings law, right? No, it's a real thorny issue for the Fefe Day and has been for some time. Uh, Erik van der Burg is a Fefe Day minister, the junior minister for asylum. And uh, last week he managed to convince his party's group in the Senate to back the bill. He sort of turned up with a huge pile of uh, uh, A4 binders and uh, explained in great <laughs> detail why local authorities, including a lot of Fefe Day mayors, you have to say, have been saying that the spreading vet is the only solution um, to the real problems that they've had at the Te Apple Refugee Reception Centre in Ho. 
Caledonia, which has been had problems of overcrowding in sanitary, uh, yeah, in sanitary conditions. Um, but of course, uh, the FIFA Day party leader Dylan Yeshilgas uh, had campaigned during the throughout the election campaign against the Prosperings Vet. Uh, the FIFA Day group in the Tredekammer in the lower house had also uh, come out against it and voted against it before the election when it was passed by the lower house. And after the election, of course, uh, she then uh, tried to engineer a way to hold up the whole process. She argued that the Senate shouldn't vote on the issue while the coalition talks are going on because they want to sort it out at yeah. the negotiating table. But the Senate is an, uh, is an independent, autonomous uh, legislative uh, lawmaking body and they said, no, it's on our agenda. We're going to press ahead with this uh, debate and this vote. And so they did. And of course, then the Fefe Day group in the Senate then changed its mind uh, during the course of the debate after listening to Eric van der Burg um, and uh, did representations from other local authorities and said they would uh, support the law. Uh, and of course this has gone down very, very badly with Geert Wilders, uh, who is the leader of the yeah. largest party in the coalition talks and he's been dead against the, co- the, the, the law. He says it will uh, because he wants to obviously block all asylum seekers at the border and have uh, absolutely no um, you know, g- 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 um, uh, make no accommodations for them uh, in uh, within the country um, and he then just stepped forward and said this was a serious problem that they had to negotiate at the coalition talks. I think it's fair to say that this issue has kind of dominated this week's round of negotiations. So what can the parties do? Well they could make a commitment in the coalition agreement uh, not to enforce the law. They could even bring in a new law to repeal it. But then of course the question is uh, how is Peter Omsicht going to respond to that? Because Omsicht is set up his party to try and uphold and strengthen the constitution and I think it's quite hard for NSC to watch the other parties just flagrantly ignore a law that's gone through the whole process of parliamentary scrutiny um, and uh, you know and done all the things that said you should do. He wants to put parliament back at the forefront of lawmaking. Well this is kind of a good example of how that actually works. Yeah and if you if you want uh, a responsible reliable governance then uh, yeah scrapping laws that have just been accepted and just gone through the whole legislative process uh, yeah doesn't seem to be a good idea um, in a run-up of the debate and the subsequent vote the the question among uh, commentators and analysts was what is the Boerburgerbeweging going to do uh, it was initially thought that their uh, support was uh, yeah the, the 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 passing of the law was hinging on their support but uh, yeah much to the surprise of everyone, the Senate faction of the VVD voted in favor or announced they would go to vote in favor, and that allowed the Boerburg Beweging senators to uh, to just uh, yeah uh, uh, say yeah we are going to vote against it and give them uh, plausible deniability yeah. uh, in case uh, uh, things go south. Even though they were initially yeah uh, um, um, uh, uh, yeah uh, uh, doubting whether or not they should support it, because of course the asylum seeker centers are mostly concentrated in the rural areas and in the periphery of the Netherlands and they uh, of course want it to be more spread evenly also to um, uh, more populated areas uh, uh, of course so um, yeah um a yeah, real no, I, I, I thought that was, I thought it was interesting <laughs> that uh, during the election campaign and before the election, there was a lot of discussion about how the Hague had become too detached from the provinces, and there was this great divide between the rural Netherlands or the provincial Netherlands and the establishment in the Hague. And yet, actually, when the provinces all spoke up and said, "We have a problem here with uh, that, that needs to be sorted," and the answer is the spreading law, that the the, the, the parties in the yeah. Hague, including here Wilders, uh, said, turned around and ignored them. Basically, said, "No." We're, yeah. we're, we're not listening to you. So I thought that was quite an interesting um, uh, nuance. Uh, and of course, I think, but perhaps I wasn't, well, I, when I look back at it, I thought perhaps this isn't so surprising that the Fefe Day made this move in the Senate because, of course, the Senate's authority comes from the provinces, right? They're, they're elected yeah. by the provincial authorities. So logically, you'd expect that provinces have a probably a stronger line of communication with the Senate than with the lower house. And perhaps that, that swayed things. Mm, yeah, that could be. Um, mm. But yeah, as you said, um, local aldermen, mayors, uh, provinces—they were all very much in favor of this law. And um, yeah, the only group of people that seem to be opposing it are the uh, four negotiating parties mm. uh, that are cu- currently do enjoy a majority in the Tweede Kamer, but they seem to be the only ones that uh, that are uh, yeah um, uh, not in favor of this law. Um, 
Will the Spreidingswet actually fix the refugee crisis or not? No, it won't immediately. But uh, Van der Boer says that the, what it will do was mean that we, we don't need um, emergency measures anymore because the, the long-standing problem that mayors have complained about is that some local councils or a minority of local councils have been willing to accommodate refugees, but uh, many haven't. And that's led to an imbalance and also just not enough places. So, and research by RTL indicates that around half the 342 municipalities haven't taken in any asylum seekers in the last 12 years and so the cabinet has had to scramble around and find come up with all kinds of desperate short-term solutions back in november for example 100 asylum seekers were put up in a beach hotel in cag down and that immediately led to all kinds of consternation uh, a local meeting uh, some uh, unsavory local characters turning up at the hotel reception uh, and of course Kit Wilders as well uh, uh, yep. arrived and uh, just to stir the pot a little uh, so again and because you have this kind of uh, reaction whenever a council says that it's going to accommodate some asylum seekers even just for 50 days, which is the case here, in a beach hotel in November when no one goes to the beach, so there's plenty of space for them, then the councils kind of t- are reluctant to tell people that uh, that this is happening in their area. And then, of course, the locals all complain they haven't been informed. So, yeah, and eventually, of course, uh, in Cagdown, the, the refugees left last week and uh, NSA went up to report on the situation and found that local shopkeepers were actually complaining that uh, the place was dead. <laughs> because the people yeah. who'd, uh, who'd been spending uh, money in their shops left. and eating yeah. in their restaurants are now gone. Yes. In what's usually the dead season. Yeah, and, and, and it was also an, a court case in, in, in Groningen, right? Uh, yes, th- th- this has added more urgency to the situation because uh, the mayor of Vestervolde, which is the council area that includes to Apple, had uh, asked for an injunction uh, that would def- d- 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 to stop uh, the overcrowding at to Apple. Basically, the, he wanted the the cap on of uh, the, the limit of uh, two thousand beds, which is the capacity to Apple, to be uh, uh, not to be exceeded anymore by the accommodation agency Goa, and uh, the, ju- mm. the judges in Groningen decided to grant injunction. So COA now has to find ways to make sure that within the next four weeks, it no longer has more than 2,000 people uh, staying into Apple at any one time. And of course, that's been long stand that, that that limit has regularly been exceeded over the last 18 months, which is why we've seen people sleeping on the on tents on the verge or in sports halls. Um, and that obviously means that uh, they're going to have to find other places for these uh, refugees to stay or face a fine of 15,000 euros a day. Wow. So um, even more pressure and deadlines and, uh, uh, and whatnot for uh, Erik van den Purger, as if he ha- doesn't have enough on his plate already. Indeed. Um, meanwhile, the coalition talks are still continuing, uh, of course. Um, yesterday, the Telegraaf came out with an article saying that uh, several of the uh, other coalition partners are complaining about the lack of um, uh, financial knowledge at the Boer-Burgerbeweging. Mm. Um, the person who is doing that part of the negotiations isn't as qualified as the other parties' uh, uh, financial guys. Uh, so uh, they are... And basically, coalition negotiations is uh, uh, coming up up with the new budget right so yeah uh, a bit of a bit of financial expertise is uh, is required uh, i think if you if you want a good coalition agreement the boer burgerweging always says yeah everyone is just thinking too much in in terms of um, uh, yeah the planning agencies models and stuff like that and everyone is just too focused on what things costs even though um, nobody is taking into account what it will actually um, achieve uh, in, yeah. in in terms of money it is a bit hard to quantify what a measure will will lead to financially, uh, but they're saying that uh, yeah they're just uh, thinking in completely different terms than than the other uh, parties. Um, so that is uh, what uh, just came out uh, this morning. But uh, the PVV especially had a, a rough time in Parliament uh, this week, right? Yes, uh, they've been attacked on uh, healthcare because on Wednesday the health spokeswoman Fleur Achema, who is also billed as a wingwoman at negotiations, said the party wants to put its plans to scrap the excess charge in healthcare on hold. Now this is the 385 euros that uh, you have to pay if you use any of the um, healthcare services or you can get. Med- 
medicine through your universal basic healthcare package that everyone has to yeah. ha- has to have. Um, in Dutch, it's known as eigen risico. In Dutch, called your, your risico. own risk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's been uh, frozen at 385 euros for nearly 10 years now, I think. And it's a, it's a discussion every election whether this should be reduced or whether it should be abolished altogether. The PFFA said very strongly during the campaign uh, that it wants to uh, scrap this uh, charge altogether or the, the, uh, the, the scrap the payments. Um, Geert Wilders uh, even had a tirade against Franz Timmermans <laughs> during the election campaign where he accused him of being out of touch and said that uh, patients on medication couldn't wait until to, to, tomorrow. They needed the charges to be abolished yesterday. Well, guess what? Now the PFFA are in coalition talks. They said, no, 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 we want to wait until the talks are over before we decide whether or not to scrap this uh, this charge. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the other parties, uh, particularly less, the left-wing parties that are uh, the effective opposition uh, since the election, uh, put forward motions uh, calling for it to be abolished straight away, and the PFFA voted against because they said, no, we need yeah. the space to discuss this during the coalition talks. So they've gone from people can't wait until yesterday to policy charges to let's just wait until probably around about Easter time because that's the earliest realistically <laughs> we're going to get a new coalition if these four parties can come to any kind of agreement. Yeah, it's lovely to see how the turns have tabled. No, how the tables have turned uh, for the, the PVV, turned, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I mean, every party has been uh, on, in, in this position uh, somewhere in the past uh, 20 years or so, and they know how this, these things work, right? If you are in opposition, yeah. you are, you have a free pass to yell whatever you want and to, to emphasize how urgent everything is. But if you're actually uh, governing or in the process of becoming a governing party, then uh, all of a sudden you need to take into account uh, the whole set of, of of, of policies that is going to be uh, proposed. So um, yeah. um, all the other parties that have that are attacking the PVV now know this. They they realize this. They have been on the other side of the of the line before. But yeah, it is uh, it is. It's a free uh, it hit, was, it, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it was a nice piece of uh, political theater. Transportation news now. Eurostar will temporarily move its passport checks from Amsterdam Central Station to Brussels from mid-June, adding an extra hour to the journey. The current direct trip takes 3 hours and 52 minutes, uh, but that will go up to 4 hours and 45 minutes. The Eurostar terminal in Amsterdam will be closed because of renovation works that will cost uh, a whopping 1 billion euros. Um, As if uh, Amsterdam Central Station hasn't been under construction enough for the past uh, 20 years or so. (laughs) People assume it's uh, constantly under construction, don't they? Because that entrance looks like uh, a building site. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I can't remember the last time I've seen it without cranes and scaffolding and, yeah. uh, and construction workers uh, uh, moving around the station. Um, moving the passport checks to Rotterdam, which is uh, the, the, the other Dutch uh, stop on the line, wasn't possible because the station doesn't have the required space. And more importantly for Eurostar, this wouldn't be profitable. Yeah, because who wants uh, to go to a stag party in Rotterdam, right? Exactly, yes. Um Eurostar is uh, increasing the frequency to Brussels to eight trains per day and passengers are no longer expected to arrive an hour early for their journey, which will also save time. The journey back will not be affected because passport controls and security checks are still carried out in London. And the direct Amsterdam-London line started five years ago with four train services a day and is very popular. Last year, the number of people using the service rose with 38% to 1.1 million tickets sold. Um, but this morning, news uh, came out that uh, even if, after the renovation works are done and the passport security checks are completed at Amsterdam, your, your, your journey will probably take uh, quite a lot longer because the high-speed rail uh, between Amsterdam and Rotterdam turns out to be um, yeah, structurally unsound uh, yes. uh, bridges, underpass, Via Ducks, they all show signs of uh, yeah unexpected or er, unexpectedly early um, yeah structural decline. Yeah, so. they're, they're, they're all creaking even more than the coalition talks in the yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah, very bad news uh, about that. And the um, Dutch railways even had to cut their um, internal uh, high-speed line uh, from Amsterdam to Breda uh, by half. So uh, I think only eight trains a day will uh, will run with reduced speed. So um, not so much the high-speed line anymore. No, 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 yeah, not really at all. And of course, there are also uh, infrastructure budget cuts, uh, which um, the NS is warning could have an even bigger impact on international train services. 
Yes, because uh, last year the infrastructure ministry announced with big fanfare the extension of the north-south line to Schiphol Airport, uh, but are now faced with uh, potential budget costs. So the ministry is now slowly backing down from the 5.5 billion euro plan. The north-south line uh, currently ends at Amsterdam South Station and connecting the Netherlands' biggest airports to the capital's metro network would clear up space on the heavily used rail line from Schiphol to Amsterdam Central Station um, and the cleared up space could be used for international services. Uh, international trains uh, have been uh, widely touted as an alternative for short haul flights, of course, and several train companies, uh, including the NS, of course, are jostling for this space. And if the government doesn't keep its promise to invest the metro uh, extension, more international services will become uncertain, the Dutch railways said. Amsterdam, too, is also unhappy with the news and threatens to stop putting money in other massive infrastructure projects if the state won't fund the metro extension, including tunneling of the uh, A10 motorway uh, at the uh, Amsterdam Zuidas, uh, so that uh, Extinction Rebellion protesters can no longer block it. Mm, yeah, and uh, yeah, we mentioned Schiphol uh, uh, just there, and there's uh, more bad news for people living in the area because uh, yet again it's uh, had to put off its plan to uh, have fewer takeoffs and landings. Yes, uh, in 2022, the cabinet announced uh, the cap on the, the number of flights to and from Schiphol uh, was going to be reduced from 500,000 a year to 452,500. Uh, the shrink was supposed to take place this spring, but was delayed in November after protests from both the EU and the US. Uh, the United States in particular fears that the American airlines will uh, lose their landing slots at the Dutch airport. Yeah, and did they not uh, also threaten retaliatory reaction where effectively they would cut landing slots to KLM planes coming in as well exactly so uh, yeah a bit of a a bit of a blackmail uh, going on here Um, and also the European Commission uh, said that the Dutch government uh, hadn't followed the correct procedures before the flight reduction was decided uh, and the plans first need to be assessed by the Commission Uh, campaigners for a reduction are very disappointed by the news Uh, Sijas Ackerman from lobby group Natura Milieu Federatie Noord-Holland says that the government has disappointed locals for the third time now. Mm, But probably not for the last time. No, definitely. The lights are going out all over the Netherlands. Uh, Nothing to do with the coalition talks, but the electricity network is at breaking point. Uh, The infrastructure can't keep up with the growth of heat pumps, electric cars and solar panels. And in the worst case scenario, one and a half million households could be short of energy by 2030. Economic Affairs Minister Rob Yetten presented the figures in a briefing to MPs. The figures are based on current grid capacity and planned investments should cut the number of households in danger. But of course, investment in energy transition is one of those things that is now uh, in a bit of doubt yeah. uh, because since the election, because uh, yeah, all the four uh, parties in the talks uh, are sceptical about it. The PFFA wants to do away with Green Energy Fund altogether. Geert Wilder says it's uh, wasting money on uh, left-wing hobbies. And NSA and BBB all also want to scale it back quite drastically. Some municipalities are already taking steps to manage electricity shortages. RTL reported on Monday that Utrecht plans to reduce the capacity of public electric car charging stations during the peak hours between 4pm and 8pm. Uh, of course, mm. Utrecht is also one of those places where the uh, cathedral, they've got a very loud uh, cathedral yeah. clock in the middle. And it really is a cathedral clock this time uh, in the middle of the city. Uh, well, but it's, it's a cathedral tower, you know. It was, uh, yeah, it the, was built as a cathedral, it but it no longer serves yeah. as one. Yeah. D- did you know that that uh, did you know that the nave collapsed after a tornado hit the city in uh, somewhere in the 17th century? I was unaware of that actually. Yeah. Uh, look it up. Uh, go to Google Maps. Look at the uh, satellite image, and you see that uh, the 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 Dom Church Tower uh, is missing a large portion of the church, and then the the yeah the the how is it called the choir st- is still standing. Yeah. Uh, but the the middle section um, is completely missing, and it uh, collapsed uh, during a uh, during a tornado. Which uh, we I was just don't see it was very often in yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that could be a, it could could have been the case as well yeah of course yeah. Uh, why, why are we talking about uh, collapsing naves and tornadoes uh, don't know <laughs> yeah pass and there have also been uh, problems with the electrical grid in Amsterdam yes uh, twice this week large sections of the capital were cut off on Monday morning trams were disrupted and uh, 41 postcode districts were left without power for several hours and then on Tuesday evening it happened again plunging thousands of homes into dark 
Fortunately, the outage this time only lasted around 10 minutes, but that was long enough for mm. cult filmmaker Dick Mass to shoot an eerie 50-second video. Probably is one of his <laughs> finest pieces of work, I think, actually. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah I agree. Yeah. I think it was uh, it was his best movie so far. Yeah, yeah well, um, the, the camera held steady, which uh, you don't always see in uh, Dick Mass's movies, but... <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a Dick Mass movie, <laughs> but I, I intend to keep it this way, I have to, I have to say. Yeah, he probably called um, it The Blackout as well, because uh, <laughs> He always has these, uh, these kind of uh, titles for his films, yeah. yeah. Um, are we really using more electricity uh, in 2024, or what is the case? Well, it's kind of a curious thing, because um, according to the ABS statistics, uh, gas and uh, electricity consumption per head is also actually at its lowest level for 50 years, uh, because we live in better insulated houses now, now, so they don't uh, lose heat so quickly. Things like lead lights uh, consume far less power than the old-fashioned light bulbs. Um, and warmer winters, of course, also mean we don't need so much gas for heating. So thanks for that, global warming. But of course, the grid does have to cope with more demand because uh, things like uh, charging electric cars, um, solar panels don't just uh, t take energy from the grid, but also feed back into it. So that adds mm -hmm. to the burden. And uh, the other issue is just that there are more people. Uh, living in the country these days and using the electricity grid. So in November, for example, a new uh, housing estate and some new commercial buildings in Almira couldn't be connected because uh, it, 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 already, it was already at its limit. And uh, the, the city uh, councillors uh, sounded the alarm that, uh, you know, that this could actually impact on house building, which is uh, something to quite an urgent issue. So it's probably only a matter of time before Clear Builders uh, starts blaming migrants for the uh, power cuts. <laughs> And if you want us to keep shining our light on all the latest developments in Dutch news and politics, the best way to feed the meter is by sponsoring us through our Patreon page. These podcasts do uh, take up a lot of our valuable time, and without your contributions, uh, we'd uh, have to go out and uh, work for a living. You can become a patron for as little as a dollar or a euro a month. We have four tiers of membership, uh, all offer the same benefits, uh, so it's up to you to decide how much you are willing or able to donate, uh, but we, we are very grateful for all contributions. Although Gartegordel patrons, which is the top tier, do get the bonus of an extra vote in the Ophef of the Year Awards, which we'll be hearing yes. much more about very shortly. Indeed. And we also like to give new patrons a shout-out on the podcast, and uh, we'd like to hear from you, so hit us with your questions about life and politics in the Netherlands and uh, we might try to answer them uh, and this week we say hello and thank you to one new patron Ovidio Prekop who's from Romania and uh, now lives in The Hague so thank you very uh, much to you thank you uh, yeah multimesc and Ovidio asks I now live in The Hague uh, and uh, I believe in the power of free independent press but uh, I, I would like to know uh, to what extent uh, is uh, do we have a free press in the Netherlands or how much is the government intertwined with the media what should we watch out for when choosing our news sources yeah that's uh, yeah, a bit of a Tough question, I think, because, uh, yeah, for example, parliamentary journalists, we both aren't parliamentary journalists, but often you hear uh, some criticism that uh, many of the parliamentary journalists uh, listen too much uh, to um, spokespersons and press officers of, uh, of, of politicians. Um, but I think in general, you could say that the Dutch journalism is uh, fairly independent. They don't get their orders from the government or anything, of course. But um, Yeah, you, you, you have quite this, this quite cozy relationship. And it, it's a small country. The Hague is a small, uh, is, is relatively um, uh, a small place. And you see that uh, the, the relationship between journalists and politicians is very close uh, because they're kind of in, interdependent on, on each other. The, the, the journalists need the politicians uh, to to, to give them stories and you know, the politicians uh, need exposure in the media and they often use uh, th things that have appeared in the press, in the papers uh, as, a, d d d as a basis for uh, the questions that they ask in, in Parliament and they know that those, that th those kinds of questions will get more coverage precisely because uh, they reflect what's on the agenda in the media. So this whole question of agenda setting I think is, uh, is a very thorny one and it, 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 it yeah. definitely you find that sometimes the relationship is too close. This isn't a unique thing to the Netherlands. I think all parliamentary systems have this uh, effective problem with news coverage uh, 
because uh, yeah, there is this mutually dependent relation yeah. between uh, uh, politicians and the media, of course. Uh, yeah. But and yeah, there are some very good media outlets, I think, that are uh, uh, definitely operating independently. One of them is, for example, Follow the Money. Yeah. Uh, they do excellent uh, investigative journalistic work, um, and they are also setting agendas very often, but they do it in a different way than yeah, they, other yeah, media they come outlets. Yeah, they have a different perhaps. perspective, and sometimes their yeah. stories are picked up uh, in the mainstream media, although perhaps not as much as as they could no. be. I think, yeah, it's good to read. I think always always a broad um, uh, broad base of, 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 of it, not just rely on one particular news source. Certainly not just rely on the mainstream media, but but their, their correspondents are very well informed. They're very clued up. They have a lot of experience, um, and they can call on a lot of knowledge of what's happened in the past. Uh, so that and, and if you combine that with uh, independent outlets like uh, Follow the Money, I think you'll get fairly the, the total picture. I think is you, you get fairly good independent news coverage. Certainly, if you compare it with countries like Hungary or Poland, Hungary of course, where mm. the prime minister actually owns the media, and in Poland, where uh, in the last election campaign, the government just basically used the um, uh, the national broadcaster as a, as a mouthpiece for its campaign. There's nothing yeah. of, on that scale here. It, it is reasonably um, the, 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 the distinction between uh, the media and the political establishment is that the, the line is not completely hard, but it's it's fairly well, it's fairly clear, um, I think. And even to fact, sometimes I think they almost go too far in trying to uh, in, in, in ensure um, uh, independent voices, because, for example, Ongehoord uh, Nederland was given a license to broadcast yeah. on, on OS, and that was kind of as a way uh, of responding to the criticism that the in the mainstream media only parroted the government lines. So they said, well, let, 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 let's have a broadcaster that uh, represents you know the, the the opposition, but in this case, you know, a sort of a particular section of the opposition, which is basically you know so yeah. for democracy in the PVV, um exclusively, really just yeah, repeats all of their policy lines and doesn't and you can really see with that where they don't do proper scrutiny they don't do actual criticism of uh, the, the, the government they just take it adopt a, a party line you can see that you know that compared to that uh, the mainstream media actually are, are, are reasonably independent but we had uh, also some uh, messages from existing patrons right yes we did we, we have a message from Bill Wirtz uh, who's got in touch to say he's left the Netherlands now and um, he's, oh. uh, he's now in the sunnier climes of Portugal he said Uh, ah. uh, over here, um, a long-standing government is expected to lose heavily in the election. Uh, there's a far-right party making waves and the debates all about migration, so it feels like I've never left. Uh, <laughs> except that I get much more sunshine and uh, and and the food has got flavour. So yeah, <laughs> the only thing is missing is a is a very loud church uh, bell and a pissing uh, polar bear. So yeah. uh, and then uh, uh, he, yeah. he, he yeah, will well, feel at home again. Yeah, although I did read this morning that uh, apparently Lisbon, the city of Lisbon, is plagued by uh, the noise from uh, polar bears. Oh, <laughs> from, no, from overflying aircraft because uh, the, the oh, airport's really? right in the middle of the city. Yeah, of so, course. Yeah, yeah. That so he's basically, moved, he's basically moved uh, to Bad Hooverdorp with a bit more sunshine and better food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah. good to hear from you, Bill, and uh, lovely to hear that you're still continuing to listen to the podcast, uh, And uh, although it's probably not very good for your PTSD. Then uh, a message from Rivage, who's been a patron for a few months and uh, says uh, that uh, he's uh, tells us he's, he's from Nepal. So I think our first ah. uh, Nepalese uh, patron, or certain that we know about. Uh, he now lives in Rotterdam yeah, so. with his family, so I uh, hope you're settling well in well there. Rivage, uh, and he says, I was following Dutch news for a long time, but came to the, listen to the podcast very recently so i uh, hope uh, it's uh, helping you out and you continue to uh, support us and uh, thank you very much uh, for your uh, for your message and then we had a lovely message from beth alexander i think uh, one of the nicest messages we've had uh, uh, almost brought a tear to tear to my <laughs> eye but she's um she's relocated from canada to the hague uh, last autumn i won't read the whole thing but uh, uh, she said that she particularly appreciated the bonus patreon episodes um Ah. He said she wanted to become a subscriber so she could hear the bonus episodes about the political parties and the run-up to the election. Uh, and she says she now thrills her uh, people at parties by uh, throwing out uh, random facts such as that Geert Wilders is the only member of his party. So I expect uh, ah. that uh, invitations to Beth are now being withdrawn <laughs> as we speak. But uh, nevertheless, <laughs> it's very nice to hear from you. and very glad to hear that uh, the, the, the podcast is offering you some real um, yeah, d d d uh, information 
information and uh, support. So you try to untangle exactly what's going on in The Hague. Um, she says, uh, your coverage is informative, interesting and funny. And uh, I keep recommending the podcast to expats. Um, OK, so hopefully as well that that will dissuade them from uh, writing letters to the council complaining about church bells. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a uh, huge faux pas for expats uh, living in Amsterdam. Yes, yeah, don't do, do it. Do not complain about the bills. Um, and she also wants to hear a bonus episode on the Delta Works, which is something we mentioned oh. a few um, yeah. a few weeks ago. So we will get then on I to that. I think we should definitely do one. Yeah. Yeah, we'll crack on with that post haste. So thank you for your uh, your message, uh, Beth, and uh, to everybody else who sponsors us. And if you would like to become a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast, log on to www.patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. And now the uh, import, most important news item of the week. Really? Uh, the province of Gelderland has been uh, given the go-ahead to scare off over-familiar wolves with paintball pellets. Uh-huh. The Midden-Nederland District Court went back on an earlier decision to ban paintball deterrence after the provincial government came up with a more detailed explanation of its plan. Nature, I, I wonder how much detail can you put in a plan? We're going to shoot I wolves with paintball I imagine they came up with all kinds of uh, charts and graphs and uh, yeah, um, statistics to, to, to measure it to within uh, the, the two decimal places. And allowed color schemes and yeah. uh, stuff like that, yes. <laughs> Nature conservation group Fauna Bescherming had challenged the province's decision to exempt rangers in the Hoge Veluwe National Park from the ban on shooting wolves, allowing them to fire paintball pellets if the animal approached humans too closely. The province argued that paintball guns were the most effective and proportional way to deter wolves, but the court said the authorities hadn't provided sufficient evidence. Gelderland commissioned a wolf behavior expert who noted 14 instances of wolves losing their fear of humans, including one female who approached photographers, cyclists and walkers. A female wolf, I have to say, mm. not a f- female human. Yeah. Yes, yes, um, important. The expert also cited positive examples of paintballs being used to deter wolves in Germany and in Yellowstone National Park in the US. Other methods such as uh, shouting or using uh, clapperboards only worked in the short term. Um, yeah, they come up with all sorts of uh, alternatives, weird alternatives. Mm. Um, and pepper spray. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not a good Imagine, move, pepper, yeah. <laughs> imagine pepper spraying a wolf. Yeah. Um, that risked uh, damaging the wolf's eyes. Uh, so yeah. that's also not a unsurprising conclusion. Yeah, I'm surprised um, in they haven't just uh, shot them with semi-automatic rifles, right? That's the usual... In, in the US, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think exactly, that yeah. Uh, <laughs> they would, uh, they would uh, prefer uh, that, uh, that method, yes. Yeah. Um, the wolf that prompted the government's response is believed to have died at the end of the year, Omroep Gelderland reported, and um, just this week also a video came out of a uh, night uh, camera yeah. um, filming uh, the anti-wolf fence somewhere in the uh, in the nature uh, reserve and uh, what could be seen were two packs of wolves uh, on e- one on each side of the fence um, yeah, trying to attack each other and yeah. Yeah, also very unsurprisingly the anti-wolf fence uh, didn't uh, didn't work uh, some wolves just simply jumped over it yeah. and so some wolves got over the fence and then started attacking the wolves on the other side yeah yeah so yeah. So, 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 uh, so so building the wall just led to more polarization yeah. it's a lesson we can <laughs> exactly. take out of that yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, and Parliament <laughs> the- responded to this. Actually, they said they're very disappointed in the verdict, and they claimed that uh, the problem with the wolf approaching humans was actually not the wolf; it was the humans because they'd started yeah, feeding course. the wolf, and they wanted to take pictures of the wolf so they could sort of encourage it to come closer. They offered it food, and surprise, surprise, that then meant the wolf associated humans with free food, gratis beer. It's a bit like it's again, but probably Boerberg of Beweging were involved. Gratis bear wolf. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that was what that that was a real problem. If people stopped feeding the wolves, then they wouldn't approach humans. And they also said the paint bulls in Yellowstone National Park weren't used to scare the wolves off. They were used to mark the wolves. They used colored paint bulls. Yeah. So then they knew which wolves were causing hassle. And then if they saw that <laughs> they wolf, they could they, they could send the rangers in to drive it away. They knew which wolf had been uh, paintballed already. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's more fun as well using colored paint bulls. That's right, yeah. yeah. Makes it much more gezellig. <laughs> and there's some news about uh, some smaller, fluffier wild animals as well. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, a, a, a bit smaller than the wolves. Water company Waternet is trying to increase the depleted rabbit population and restore traditional habitats in North Holland by introducing wild rabbits from elsewhere in the country. They're really uh, putting the spreading sweat into action here. Yeah, I think. exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, a fair distribution are... of rabbits, although the rabbits will then yeah. redistribute themselves probably quite rapidly. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, these particular rabbits are important uh, because they keep pests like the American black cherry from proliferating, uh, while their fondness for digging holes provides birds with a place to breed. Yeah. Uh, they're also a food source, of course, for uh, birds of prey, and uh, the rabbit populations in coastal areas had been decimated by viruses, uh, and rabbits were added to the red list of endangered mammals in 2020. So 2020. bad was the virus... Yeah. yeah. Does that ring a bell? Ben? Yeah. Does that it, ring it, a bell? So, it, it, were they are they actually uh, victims of the vaccination program? Do we think? Has anyone come up with that theory? Um, I, I'm sure if we ask Robert Jensen on Onroad Nederland, he, he has uh, he has a theory ready for this. Um, but the first 22 rabbits from the Zuid-Holland Natura 2000 area, Uitervaarde Lek, uh, which has a surplus of rabbits, made the journey to the neighboring province on Monday. Uh, and these rabbits are vaccinated indeed, so they will not spread the virus uh, even more. Um, and uh, they will be monitored to see if any further measures are needed to guarantee their survival and Waternet is not the only water company to try its hand at restocking the coastal areas with rabbits uh, regional water company PWN is trying to achieve the same in Kastrikum in North Holland province and uh, they're also having a similar program in the water island of Schiermonnik Oog Simon Golk is also facing another inundation because this week uh, CNN uh, recommended it to uh, Americans as uh, one of the the, oh, the, no. the last great unspoilt European islands. But uh, it's not going to uh, have that status for much longer. So, yeah, it's now bracing itself for an influx of rabbits and American tourists. And yeah. uh, I don't know which is uh, going to spread faster. But uh, I, I imagine that, uh, yeah, the, 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 they're not uh, relishing that prospect. Sports news now, and uh, PSV Eindhoven's long winning streak in the Eredivisie came to an end at the weekend, as they could only manage a draw in Utrecht. Uh, They're probably distracted by the noise of the church bells going off every 15 (laughs) minutes during the game. Peter Boss's side took an early lead in the Cathedral City, but Ottoman Busaid equalised early in the second half to extend Utrecht's own unbeaten run to 11 matches, which is not bad for a team that are in 14th place. Feyenoord survived Mm -hmm. a late recovery by bottom club Vitesse to cut the lead to 10 points and later in the week the Rotterdam club dealt another blow to boss by knocking PSV out of the Dutch Cup uh, Quinton Timber scored the only goal with a shot on the turn in the first half but all the talk after the game was about a penalty that wasn't awarded uh, Mats yeah. FIFA's lunging tackle on Noah Lang looked to be about a metre away from the ball but the, the referee and the far panel both deemed it a fair challenge. And Peter Boss afterwards uh, sarcastically asked journalists if they'd run run it past uh, of, uh, a, a, an obscure blind singer from the 1970s called Jules de Corte. Uh, yeah, so which no one ever heard of. Yeah. Nobody ever heard of. <laughs> uh, on Thursday evening, uh, the, uh, the the last remaining amateur club in the competition, USV Hercules, uh, were trying to, uh, who had knocked out Ajax in the previous round, uh, were trying to uh, uh, for another stunt when they took on Kambu Leovarden. They went 2-0 up in the second half, but in the end, in quite a dramatic finish to the match, uh, Kambu uh, equalised first at the end of normal time and then again in extra time and uh, then finally won 4-3. So that was the end of the last amateur club in the, the Dutch Cup and uh, it will all be Eredivisie and Eerste Divisie clubs in the quarterfinals. Yeah, and uh, of course, lovely, lovely irony that Hercules defeated Ajax uh, yes. in these uh, in yeah, these games. Well, it they... hasn't been played since the fall of Troy. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If only they played this match in Paris. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, yeah, Hercules also one of their goal scorers was called Storm Streng, which I thought was great. Oh, yeah. that's a great name. Yes, <laughs> of course. Yeah. So, and speaking of Ajax, um, do they have any eligible players yet? Well, they've been creeping up the league table and now up to fifth place. And uh, they got a boost this week when Jordan Henderson's work permit finally came through. Now, they signed Henderson uh, this week from uh, Qatar, but he originally comes from that distant third world country known as the United Kingdom. So it was a complicated mm. process uh, getting his work permit. He has now been cleared to play and trained with his new teammates for the first time on Wednesday. Interim manager John van Schip said he still hasn't decided if Henderson will start the match against Heracles Almelo this weekend. 
Uh, Ajax is women's Heracles team. Heracles is not to be confused with uh, Hercules. Not to be confused with Hercules. No. no. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, and I never realised we had so much, so many football teams named after Greek and Roman heroes. Well, you got Sparta yeah. as well. You got, oh, Sparta, uh, of course. Yeah. 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 No, there's a lot of that going on. There was Cessies as well in Amsterdam. Mm. The old amateur before Ajax are now the only professional club, but back in the early days of professional football, there was Ajax and Xerxes both playing in Amsterdam. Uh, Ajax's women's team uh, they deserve a mention too. They were in playing in the Champions League last week. Uh, they had the chance to qualify for the knockout stages against uh, in, in Paris against Paris Saint Germain, but they lost 3 1. But because the other match between Bayern Munich and Roma ended in a draw, uh, Ajax are still in second place and will go through if they beat Roma in Amsterdam next Tuesday. And speaking of Roma as well, of course, uh, Feyenoord's fans have been told they're not welcome in the Eternal City uh, when they take on Roma again. in the again, yeah, because they, they keep being drawn against Roma and Lazio. It's yeah. almost like fate. <laughs> what is this? And then every time the Italian authorities say that because you trashed the Spanish steps and the Boccaccio <laughs> fountain last time you were here, you're not you're not welcome anymore. So uh, once again, they've been told uh, to stay away. And um, yeah, Feyenoord have banned Roma fans uh, from the first leg of the Europa League clash uh, in February as a retaliatory measure. Yeah, I keep having deja vu's, but it's not just me. This just keeps happening. It does really uh, over keep and happening, over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and FC Twente also had some ophef this week. Yeah, they're trying to sell Costa Rican midfielder Manfred Ugaldi, and uh, talks are said to be in an advanced stage. Uh, there's a uh, local newspaper Dubantia have cited a, a transfer fee of 15 million euros, uh, which would be a nice windfall for Twente. But the only problem is that the place he's going is Spartak Moscow. So mm. some uh, few people at uh, FC Twente are getting itchy feet about this transfer. Um, on the face of it, there's there's no bar to this uh, to Ugalda moving to Moscow. Yeah. Uh, some Russian clubs have been sanctioned uh, since the invasion of Ukraine, but uh, Spartak is not one of them. And there's no general ban on footballers moving to Russia if they really want to. Because some Dutch players have uh, uh, taken advantage of uh, uh, the, 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 uh, of Russia and its um, refusal to extradite people back to the Netherlands, particularly Quincy. Promes, yeah. the former Ajax yes. and Dutch international who left in a very big hurry a few years ago uh, after he was uh, prosecuted for, uh, well, two things. First of all, stabbing his nephew at a party and also being involved in shipping 1,300 kilos of cocaine there through Antwerp. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and someone said uh, on Twitter that uh, there are probably not many football players who... Uh, end their season with more kilos of cocaine than uh, ball contacts uh, yeah. because uh, he had 1177 ball contacts in 2019 and 2020 uh, uh, compared to the 1362 kilograms of cocaine he allegedly yeah. uh, had smuggled into the country. <clears throat> yeah, he's still on trial for that, as you say, but the prosecution, prosecution service have asked for a nine-year uh, jail sentence if he is convicted. Uh -huh. So, um, yeah, he's not going to be coming back to the Netherlands anytime soon, I don't think. No. Yeah, and uh, this is. Uh, I, I just said that we had the most important uh, item of uh, of this week, but that's not true. This is the most important absolutely, item absolutely of the is, week. Yeah. It is yeah. the. Uh, we're finally going to announce uh, the winner of the Ophef of the Year 2023. We had some delays. We're almost uh, the. Uh, uh, we, now we finally know how the Dutch railways feel like, right? Uh, we yeah, kept uh, yeah. delaying and delaying. Yeah, or, or the Dutch electricity network. We had some technical yeah. issues. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, let's uh, dive into uh, the winner. We had, of course, four nominees. I asked you uh, recently if <laughs> you remembered what the, yeah. who the nominees were, so I'm not going to ask uh, you again. Uh, we also had some technical difficulties this morning. Uh, unfortunately, we had to record this episode uh, for a second time, which is completely my fault. Just like uh, putting a broken link in the original Ophef uh, uh, liner notes <laughs> was also my fault. So uh, I'm not, of, uh, not in a good start of... Uh, 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 2024. Things can only get better. That's, that's the way you have to yeah, look at that's it. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. All right, so let's announce uh, the number four uh, yeah. of the OPEF of the Year uh, uh, prize award. And the number four is the Mark Rutte's dildo helmet with 18% ah. uh, of the votes. Right. Uh, you're going to pretend that you don't know what the results are, Gordon. So, I'm going to uh, pretend <laughs> I don't know what the results are. Yes, exactly. Yeah, this is kind of like we, we did with the election. But yeah, Mark Rutte's dildo helmet where he appeared on a talk show uh, before the, uh, the the previous election. And they were... Uh, uh, yeah, the provincial yeah. elections, yeah. Yeah, he 
you're on a kind of a uh, the uh, f- f- what do they call it now Veronica Inside isn't it um, Fondach Inside Fondach Inside now. they keep changing their name yeah. but yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very sort of a sort of laddish banterish type uh, talk show and he was invited to put on a helmet which had a dildo on it yeah yeah he refused he refused um, yeah. number three is the uh, Belgian whoppy flag uh, where uh, Mark Rutte there is again mm. visited the Belgian prime minister in Brussels but the Belgians had hung up the Dutch flag upside down yes. uh, at the, one of these photos uh, you know when they uh, shake hands um, yeah. and it was noticed by Caroline van der Plas whose uh, support group Angry Farmers adopted this as a symbol of their discontent of course yeah, I guess probably what yeah. happened was a, a Belgian minister drove over the, over the border uh, to see to, to check on the yeah. flags <laughs> and uh, just assumed from the flags that he saw hanging that was the way the Dutch flag was supposed to be. Yeah, that's a plausible <laughs> scenario, yeah. And then Alexander de Croo responded by uh, on, on, on Twitter and Instagram with a video where he put the Dutch flag uh, in its correct upright position again. Yeah. But then that flag appeared to be orange, white, blue, which is a um, yeah neo-Nazi symbol, uh, yes, unfortunately. Yeah. But that yeah. was just bad lighting, uh, I'm yeah. sure. Um, number two is with uh, 28% the Boris Johnson invasion. Boris Johnson invasion. Ah, oh, I was hoping yeah, that, that's was that, that was my so nomination. I was hoping that was going to Yeah, win. that was your nomination. So yeah, that means he was talking that the about winner. invading Leiden, right? Uh, uh, oh, no, yeah, that, that, yeah, that, yeah. Yes, yes, sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh, to get uh, vaccines uh, uh, to the United Kingdom. Um, And that means that the winner is, of course, the uh, urinating polar bear from Amersfoort, we just uh, discussed at the beginning of the episode. So um, um, uh, a bittersweet week for Amersfoort, I think. On the one hand, they're losing their polar bear, but on the other hand, they have the honor of uh, getting the title, uh, delivering the ophef of the year 2023. Yeah, well, that should be Um, some consolation for them. I, I, I'm sure that it will be a, a major consolation for them. Um, of course, we uh, also have a uh, winner of the uh, special uh, Dutch News Ophef of the Year 2023 mug. Um, mm-hmm. I am going to draw one from uh, all the people who voted. And of course, Patreon supporters had a double chance. And Gachtegorde uh, Ter Patreon voters even had a, uh, yeah, a, a three times yeah. Um, <coughs> yeah, so bigger chance of winning. Yeah, so well and truly skewed the selection. So I'm going to uh, spin the wheel. It's spinning right now. And the winner is, who is it? Kevin Esslinger. So congratulations, Kevin, uh, with your mug. I will email you uh, to ask about your contact information and I will send the mug to you and your coaster. Uh, so uh, hopefully uh, you can, uh, yeah, you will enjoy your prize. Yes, very, very important. The, the Zeeslijsai Modern Coaster as well. Uh, yeah. yeah. Re- remember to use them in combination at all times. Well, that's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include ev- links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a shout-out and the chance to ask us your questions. My thanks to Paul Peters. Uh, congratulations once again to Kevin and the whole city of Amersfoort. I'm Gordon Darroch, and we'll be back next week. restore traditional what, what did i say uh, last uh, yesterday rapid r- yeah rapid, rapid population rapid, yeah. Rapid, uh, the rapid rabbit yeah. population yeah it will get quite rapid yeah. once they start uh, introducing the rabbits yeah yeah